0: Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campion Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campion Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Friday, July the 17th, 2020, titled How Theaters Staying Closed Till Mid-2021 Will Devastate the Movies. And remember guys, even if you're listening to the podcast, you can also send in a comment or question to be read on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash TV slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Let's get into some stuff right off the top. And the first thing we're going to start off with is this, you know, One of the biggest and longest running bits of drama going on in the world of film over the past going on three years is the tale of New Mutants, New Mutants, with a bunch of kids, young X-Men kids, that by the time this movie opens, they will be bringing their grandchildren to the premiere. It has been a long time. It is supposed to open at the end of August. I wouldn't hold my breath. I don't think (laughs) it's going to open at the end of August. However... At the upcoming Virtual Comic Con, we've got a we're gonna have a panel for New Mutants where I'm gonna guess they're going to announce a delay in the date again. But they also dropped like a, a little bit under a minute teaser, a new teaser for the new mutants. Now, listen, I have enjoyed what I have seen coming out of New Mutants so far. I, I've liked what we've seen, and I'm excited to see it. This little teaser was the best piece of marketing. They have put out to date it and it was short, but I feel like in this one like 50 second teaser We got more of an understanding of what the story's kind of about We definitely got some bigger highlight moments and flashes of excitement in it and all that kind of and everything else I gotta tell you rob I saw this little spot and I thought it was just fantastic I really enjoyed it and my anticipation level which was already fairly big for this movie has just gone up a few more notches. Rob, I know you had a chance to see this little teaser. What did you think of it?
1: I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I'm i very, very, very excited for this movie. We've been talking about it for a long time. The fact that they're adapting the Demon Bear storyline when Bill Sienkiewicz moved over and started drawing New Mutants. I mean, it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite memories of reading X-Men comics from my youth. And the fact that they chose to focus on that proved to me that they knew what they were doing. And every time, like the first time we saw Yana Rasputin with the soul sword, which was in the last trailer, I'm like in. And this one, even though it was quick, dude, it just, it, it looks exactly like what I wanted from this movie. And just <laughs> give it to me, John. Give it to me. Why can't I have this? I, I You know, I, everything else is, we get everything else. I just want this. Please give this to me. Give it to me now.
0: Yeah. And again, we're supposed to be getting it in August. You know, a lot of people speculated that it was going to drop on Disney Plus, but I don't believe it can drop on Disney Plus. I think if it goes to streaming, the first place it's got to go is to HBO. And if, but Disney doubled down, they say, nope, we're committed to this movie. They gave it a new theatrical release date. I'm not even sure we're going to get it in 2020. I think it might get pushed to 2021, but I I mean, who knows? We'll find out at this Comic-Con panel that they're going to, this virtual Comic-Con panel they're going to do, and we'll find out. Question for you guys is simply this. What did you think of this little teaser for New Mutants? I thought it was really good. What are your thoughts? Did it increase your excitement for it? Do you think we're even going to get it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's go to another off the top, and that is this. You know, the Russo brothers, uh, once they were done with Endgame, they spun off out of the MCU and they started their Agbo production company. I'm going to admit, while I love the Russo brothers, I'm not thrilled with their start so far with Agbo. Their first one they came out with was with 21 Bridges with MCU alum Chadwick Boseman. That was a bad movie. Uh, They did not do a great job with that movie. That one didn't work out so well. Then they did... And Rob, I forget the name of it, but the uh, Chris Hemsworth film that they did on Netflix, the military where he's the military dude, and I'm extraction. forgetting the name of it. Extraction, Extract. thank you. Which I was excited about, and the action in that film is fantastic, B- but I thought it was a pretty weak movie. I thought it was, other than fantastic, mind-blowing action, I thought it was really weak. Uh, so I haven't been thrilled with Agbo's outing so far. Well, strap in, guys because it just came out this morning, that we are getting Netflix's most expensive movie ever. Netflix, of course, their subscribership just went up a bunch because of the pandemic, and they are doubling down on that, really trying to take advantage of this momentum. And they just committed $200 million to produce a new movie starring Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, another good Canadian kid, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans in an adaptation of the novel, the gray man. Now the gray man, if you think you remember the name of that, that's because a couple of years ago, there was talks about Brad Pitt using that as a vehicle that kind of fell by the wayside. Now we've got this. Now, apparently it's about a super spy assassin who's being chased by another super spy assassin. Okay. We've heard that before. It's it's been done, but that doesn't stop it from sounding pretty intriguing, especially when your two leads are Ryan Gosling, and Chris Evans. Rob, um, you know when you look at something like this, and you look at Netflix, which earlier this year was talking about maybe reducing how much they're going to be spending in original programming a little bit because you know they're fifteen billion in debt. Um, there's only so much you can spend and they talked a little bit earlier this year about reducing and maybe they are. But that's not stopping them from going for some big high profile stuff to really take advantage of this, especially with Disney Plus is out there now. Peacock (laughs) just launched. HBO Max just launched. We got Amazon Prime is killing it with their original stuff and they got that little Lord of the Rings thing coming at the same time. You got Hulu out there, which is actually one of my favorite streaming platforms and all that kind of stuff. So Netflix is finding themselves in a place now that they even need to do more to stand out from the crowd. An action film that is a $200 million blockbuster with Ryan Reynolds. I keep saying Reynolds, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Uh, that's a good way to do it. It may be a financially negative thing for them to do. like They, they may end up not actually making money from this. But just it as a flag planted in the ground to say, we are serious about this stuff, guys. There's a lot of other options out there now, but we're serious about this original entertainment stuff. Come on in. It sounds pretty exciting. I'm hopeful because like I said, I'm a big fan of the Russo brothers. I just have not been a fan of their stuff, sans Kevin Feige, since Endgame but I'm hoping this would be the type of vehicle that they can use to turn it around. They love going back to the MCU alum with Chadwick Boseman, Chris Hemsworth. Now they're bringing in Chris Evans, who they have worked with many, many, many times. And they're actually going to be directing this one as well as producing. Rob, you hear about this Gray Man project. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Dude, I'm if it's anything like Captain America, the Winter Soldier in terms of its action, uh, I think this could be great, and what a cast. Who doesn't want to watch those two guys try and kill each other? I know that would be kind of fun for me. Um, I'm sure it's going to be wildly entertaining. I, you know, I, I still have to say, though, John, when I hear that they're spending this much money on a movie like this, I sure would like to see it in a giant IMAX theater, though. I mean, I know oh, they yeah. bought the Egyptian theater. I that's I, it, Look, there. I think I'm going to have to get over – my prejudice against not seeing movies in a big theater, because I really like seeing, especially movies that are writ large for the big screen, I like to see them in giant auditoriums. And I think, well, maybe, you know, since Netflix did buy the Egyptian theater, that maybe we'll get, I don't know, a special week run of it or something, like a week in theaters, or maybe uh, Netflix will team up with IMAX and put the, it just seems such a shame that they're going to spend $200 million on a movie and we can't see in a theater.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is unfortunate, but I mean, this is a pretty big move for Netflix right now. It's the type of splash that you want to make, especially with Disney plus out there. That's kind I know, of stalled. I know. Like, I, with Disney with Disney plus stalling and not really have <laughs> Mandalorian. Yay. Where's everything else? It's, it's a good opportunity to take advantage of. So we'll see questions for you guys is simply, what do you guys Think about this whole move of theirs. Do you like this idea? Do you think this is bold? Are you excited for it? I know I'm excited for it. I want to see the Russo brothers get back to their form. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we got one more thing off the top to talk about, and that is this. Now, of course, the best comic book movie of, I believe it was 2018, to me, was not Infinity War to me, was not Black Panther. My actual favorite comic book movie and my third favorite movie overall of 2018 was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I never would have thought I would have said that because I thought the movie looked terrible. I didn't even like the idea of them making it. And it ended up being my third favorite film of the year. Anyway, there have been some rumors going around that the character Silk could appear in the next Spider-Verse. Well, it looks like those are rumors no longer... As uh, Lord and Miller, the producers of Spider-Verse, jumped on their social media and with Phil Lord asking, my ears aren't big enough or stiff enough for my mask wearing needs. Any suggestions? To which Christopher Miller replied with a big image of silk, pretty much confirming what the speculation and rumors have been that we would be getting a silk at some point here. I got to tell you, I love this idea. I love this idea for a couple of reasons. Number one, Silk is a pretty cool character. I believe she's a Korean. I believe she's Korean-American. I believe a Cindy Moon is a Korean band. Now, basically, for those of you who don't know much about Silk, she was bitten by the exact same spider that bit Peter Parker. So in the story, basically, Peter Parker thought the spider bit him and it died. It didn't die. (gasps) Twist. It actually crawled off and then bit another person, Uh, which was Cindy Moon. She becomes Silk, mostly the same power set as the regular Spider-Man and stuff like that. And then they go into her story. She was hidden away and then she comes back and all that kind of stuff. Character got introduced in 2014. Character first came up in 2014. And one of the main reasons why I love this is, number one, bringing in a new character because if you remember from the first spider-verse movie they basically all the characters had not only their own unique personalities they all had their own unique animation style every character had a completely different animation style they had the anime character you had noir you know you had that stuff and that was great to see what they do if they bring a new style in for silk i think is very good expanding the spider-verse as it will really good so Personally, I like this move a lot. Rob, you heard that they're bringing Silk now into the Spider Verse for the follow-up movie. What do you think about that?
1: I'm all, you know, I'm all in on this. I think it's a great move. You know, it, 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 it I've, I like that character. I think that, um, I think it's gonna, it, it'll fit in, it'll fit in fine. I, I wonder how they're gonna use her. Are they gonna be rivals? Are they gonna be romantically involved? Have, I mean. Uh, I think it's intriguing. Um, I, I'm sure with a story like this, they'll be on opposite. They'll they'll be at loggerheads at first, fighting or something, because you know all superheroes have to have a misunderstanding and be on opposite sides of the fence before they make up and take on the big bad together. Uh, I, I I count me in. Count me in.
0: I I mean I don't think they'll make her romantic interest because Amy Pascal's already kind of said that the next one part of the focus of the next one is going to be the growing the developing romance between uh, Miles and Gwen so they're probably going to go with that I don't know I mean the first Spider-Verse they brought in a whole bunch of Spider-Men and they never had them versus each other right so maybe they just maybe she just shows up from another one of the multiverse areas and says I need help and maybe there's that I don't know, whichever direction they go, I'm curious to see. I just want to see a new Spider-Verse movie because I love that first one so much. Question is, guys, what do you think about this news about them bringing Silk into the Spider-Verse? Jump on down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. I just hope they're not dropping, you know, Spider-Ham out of it in order to make room for her. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here, On the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into that main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Gary Middleman, who writes Hey, John and team. I was just reading an interview with Chris Evans talking about Marvel and the MCU, and the issue of Marvel movies and Oscars came up. He seems to think more Marvel movies should have got major Oscar nominations. The MCU is my favorite thing in movies. But honestly, I'm not really sure I agree with them. What do you think? Has the MCU been snubbed? Thanks and have a great day, sir. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, that actually has been a big topic of conversation for a while. Has been ever since, especially once the MCU started finding its real groove and getting all that massive momentum going. Why hasn't there been more Oscar love? Should there have been more Oscar love? And, and, you know, Chris Evans kind of brought that up. And this is what Chris Evans said. He said, look, there is enormous thought and consideration that goes into these story arcs. He ain't wrong. If you take the Marvel moniker off those movies and characters that aren't identifiable from the comic books, these movies would be lauded in that way. I'm not saying everyone's a home run, but they really turn out some really impressive movies. That comes to us from Chris Evans. And look, I don't disagree with Chris Evans. Chris Evans is right. One of the great things that has made Marvel wonderful isn't just that they've had iconic characters up on the screen. Anybody can do that. You you give somebody the rights to Marvel characters. Great. I can make a movie and put Dr. Doom in it, and I can make a movie and have Captain America in it. and that's fine. The strength of the MCU has always been they focus first and foremost on making good movies. They have not abandoned the principles of fundamental good storytelling in order just to say, ah, just have... Captain Stupendous kicking Dr. Evil Man's ass. You know, they don't do that like a lot of comic book films in previous eras have done. And he's right about that. I still don't know myself though, Rob, if I buy into the idea that, you know, that they've deserved more Oscar love. And you know what? What's funny about it, when often when we think about comic book films, we often think about how the Oscars ignore comic book films. But the reality is, Oscars have often given attention to, to comic book films and it's not just for like visual effects and things like that there have been some significant moments in the in the comic book movies era where oscars have given some some legitimate consideration and legitimate attention to them Uh, for instance joker just recently got 11 oscar nominations if i'm not mistaken i believe it got 11 oscar nominations which ties i believe for the record of most oscar i think it's it's at least the same amount of oscar nominations that lord of the rings return of the king got and it won two of them one of them being for score and the other being for best lead actor with joaquin phoenix spider-man into the spider verse won the academy award for best animated feature black panther got seven nominations at the academy awards including a nomination for best picture first time that had ever happened it won three academy awards overall the Dark Knight, going back a few more years, won eight nominations at the Academy Awards, winning two, including the major award for Heath Ledger for Best Supporting Actor. Logan recently became the first comic book movie to get nominated in the major category of screenplay, and as you, now, and we're not even talking about all the other categories. Mean, this is just a few significant moments. But Rob, I, I still come back to the fact that you know, as much as I love the MCU and they're great. For example, for me, I wouldn't have nominated Infinity War for Best Picture. I love that movie. I love it. But I I wouldn't have nominated it for Best Picture. I certainly wouldn't have nominated it for Best Picture over Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I thought maybe should have been there. But to Chris's point, I don't know that Chris is making an argument that Marvel deserved more Oscars. I think Chris is making a point that I do agree with, which is Marvel films need to be looked at more seriously than just comic book movies. They are comic book movies but they are also more than that. And they need to be looked at a little bit more seriously because I believe he's right, Rob. When you look at these films, there's underlying great narrative, a lot of great character development, and the way Kevin Feige has fit these pieces together to make the overall NCU is nothing short of really impressive. I don't know, Rob, you hear Chris Evans' comments here. What do you think about them?
1: Well, I mean, here's... Here's the thing. I've always thought that the Oscar, Oscar films should be films, Oscar caliber movies are movies that transcend time, transcend the era in which they're released. And while I love John, I've loved comic books my whole life. I've loved comic book movies, the era that we're in. I love Infinity War just like you do. I watch that movie more than I'll ever care to admit publicly. (laughs) <laughs> I watch it a lot. I just find it wildly entertaining. Same with with Endgame. But I just can't I, I, as much as I enjoy it, I can't see an Infinity War being a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, or or Gandhi or something like that. And and even I, who wants to see comic book films win awards, I just don't know if I could award I couldn't award a movie, like you said, like Infinity War with the best picture. I, I couldn't. Although, right. I could be persuaded to lean more toward a movie like Logan eventually taking a... The, the more comic book in conception, if that makes sense, the less inclined I would be. I would like to see a comic book movie truly transcend the genre because ultimately they are genre movies. Mm. And I think that the best... The best Oscar films, look, Silence of the Lambs was essentially a horror movie, and it sort of, it transcended the horror genre. Same of, it didn't win, but like The Exorcist was nominated, Mm. and it transcended its genre as well. And I think that that's what we want from prestige best picture winners, is something that becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And I think we're on the road to that. I don't know what, a, what, what I would – I guess I know it when I see it, but I just don't think that I've seen a movie yet that I would award – a comic book movie that I would award Best Picture to yet
0: right I, mean, I, I I agree with you about Logan by the way a Logan because Logan to me I what was that 2017 2017 2016 I can't remember but Logan to me was the best film of the year I, so I, I certainly thought but I was thrilled when it got the screenplay nomination because that had never happened before for a comic book right movie. And, and to your point Logan is exactly that kind of model of a film it is a comic book movie at its core. But it so transcended just our general understanding of a comic book film. It was heavy drama. It was a Western in many ways. I mean, it just embodied all those things that you're talking about. And I think I think you're right. We just I think those examples I brought up are pointing to that between Joker, Black Panther, Spider-Verse, Logan, I think we see that evolution happening, not just with the I- Oscars recognizing them more, but the movie studios themselves evolving their movies
1: more. I, I think so, too. You know, I keep going back to when I think about genre movies, I think about Westerns. And when I saw Unforgiven, which won Best Picture in 92, when I was sitting there as somebody who grew up watching, you know, Bonanza and Gunsmoke and Westerns, when I saw Unforgiven in the theater, I walked out totally blown away. How it was a complete deconstruction of all Western mythology. And when, when Clint Eastwood says to the Schofield Kid, you know, He'll get what's coming to, and he says, We all got it. We all got it coming to us, kid. You know, I mean, you knew that, <laughs> that that movie was was something more than just a Western. And and yet it was a Western, but it transcended all of those archetypes to become something truly timeless for the ages. And I think one day we will get a comic book movie that does just that. I don't know if it's gonna star Superman or Captain America, but maybe it could. Well,
0: you know what I'm waiting for, Rob? I'm waiting for a trend to happen in the movies, and it's harder to do it in the movies. I know it's harder to do it in the movies, but when you look at the television medium right now with comic book stuff, to me, the absolute best stuff on television right now, comic book-wise, has nothing to do with the big popular IPs. Doom Patrol, Umbrella Academy, The Boys, these are the best best things in comic book stuff on television right now and i can't help but wonder because you just brought it up right like you don't know if it's going to be a superman movie or captain america a captain america movie i can't help but wonder if once the movies start to embrace hey maybe we go back to the old not doing a sequel i'm just saying maybe we go back to the philosophy of the old will smith hitchcock or uh yeah it's hitchcock right that's the name of it hitchcock movie what if let's bring in some completely new stuff or stuff that nobody knows anything about and do it really differently and maybe that'll become the movie that maybe breaks through on that level. Yeah,
1: although, you know, the, I think you're right. There's a comic book, there's a a book, a comic book called The Superman for All Seasons. It's a Superman comic that just like it says, broken into four stories. I could see something like that if it was done correctly, you know, if it had the right touch, it could be, it could evoke the same kind of feelings in viewers that the Shawshank Redemption does. I don't mean mm. it's like has anything to do with prison, but, but A Superman for All Seasons is lyrical. It's definitely a Superman story, but it, it, it has great emotion to it. And I think if it was pulled off correctly, I could see A Superman for All Seasons winning Best Picture.
0: All right, guys, the question here for you is this. What did you guys make of Chris Evans' comments? Do you think we are in a season now that we're going to start seeing with with the accomplishments of Logan, Black Panther, Joker, Spider-Verse? Do you think we're going to see that happen more? Is it because more that the Oscars are changing or is it more because the comic book movie genre is evolving even more? What are your thoughts on this overall? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Carter, who writes, Did you see an analyst uh, at Disney in The Hollywood Reporter saying that they expect most movie theaters to remain closed until 2021, mid-2021? If that proves to be true, the repercussions seem massive. What would this mean in terms of the future of theaters and what will happen to all the movies Currently being held. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, first of all, Carter, to, just to correct you, it wasn't an analyst from Disney that said this, but it was an analyst from a, a big industry company that analyzes the industry and all that kind of stuff. This was the comment that came from a quote in the Hollywood Reporter by Doug Krootz, who is one of these analysts uh, that a lot of people in this industry take very seriously. And he wrote the following We had previously assumed that the spread of COVID-19 would be relatively halted by now. Of course he did, because if we weren't a pack of idiots, it would have been, because we flattened the curve. Remember that? Good times. And then everybody became jackasses, and it spiked again. Anyway, am I a little bit, bit bitter about that? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, that COVID, We assume that the COVID-19 would have been relatively halted by now with social distancing requirements significantly lessened by late 2020, uh, uh, Kruitz wrote. We have now extended that timeline out to at least mid 2021. The situation remains very fluid and we do not rule out the possibility that the impact could last even longer, that the impact could last even longer. Now, it is important to point out here that this is one analyst, all right? This is one do, but again, it is from a, a company that's taken very, very seriously by the studios and, and by everybody in the industry that is saying this. That is not a definitive thing that uh, theaters are going to stay closed to mid-2021 and all that kind of stuff. I personally still believe they're going to be open before the end of the year. I I know, I know I thought for sure we'd be open by July. I mean, go back to February. I thought, yeah, by July we'll be open up again because, you know, we're intelligent people. We're going to do the smart <laughs> things. For the most part, we're going to stay at home. When we need to go out, we're going to wear masks. We're not going to get together in big, big groups. We're certainly not going to pack out bars and beaches and restaurants and, and whatever. We're certainly not going to do that. I mean, If we go into a restaurant, it'll be one that has social distancing, six feet apart, hand sanitizer, mask, blah, blah. But nope, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. And now it is spiked with every single day, new record numbers and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I would have thought, I did think we would have been open back up again by July. I thought tenant months ago. Was gonna hit its July seventeenth release date. By the way, guys, yay! Today is the opening day for Tenant. <laughs> to, I mean, to, I mean, to, today is the opening day for Tenant, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! It's July seventeenth. Um, and yet here we are. So, Rob, I maybe I'm being naive or optimistic. I still don't personally believe that it's gonna be till 2021 or even late 2021 for when the movie theaters open again. But you have to at least take warnings like this seriously. What comes to mind, though, is what happens if it is the case? What happens if the movie theaters cannot open again until mid-2021? What are the repercussions of that? And that's the first thing that comes to mind when I read these sobering words. What comes? Here's what comes to mind for me. It's going to be a disaster. It is going to be an absolute disaster. On several fronts, not something that it doesn't mean the movies as we know it will disappear forever. That's not what I'm saying. You know, disasters happen and you get back on your feet and you recover. But this would be a disaster. Nonetheless, let's just start with point number one. The first thing you're going to have to understand is that it's not just AMC. AMC will be done. AMC will be dead. Like just the biggest movie theater exhibitor in the world like that is going to disappear. And if you're not short-sighted and you understand how everything is connected, especially in this industry, you start to understand that sense of dread that creeps in about what the dominoes that will fall come into play. Because this movie studios, they make their money in movie theaters. So now if AMC can't open again to say mid-2021... They're out of business. They're gone. They're dead. That's the number one movie theater chain in the world is gone. That will affect the studios. But but beyond just AMC, let me point this out too. AMC started behind the eight ball because they were in a position of $5 billion in debt, which we've talked about. It was all, it was smart debt that they did because they upgraded their theaters. They got their A-list program up and running. They acquired some new locations. Everything would have been great if the pandemic hadn't hit. But they started out behind the eight ball being $5 billion in debt, but make no mistake about it. This shutdown lasting into December, February, March, April, mid-2021, Guys, it's not just AMC we're talking about anymore. You think Regal's going to last? You think Regal's going to last having to shut down their business for a year? They're gone. What do you think about Cineworld? For those of our friends in the UK, they're gone. For our friends in Canada, Cineplex, gone. This thing stretches to from being a couple of months shutdown, which was dangerous for all of them already, into a year shutdown. We're talking about their very survival. And again, follow the falling dominoes. The theaters are gone. The studios get punched square in the nutsack with Triple H's sledgehammer. It's disastrous. That will then have repercussions of their own. The way that these studios are going to have to look at, what can we do? Because we can no longer count on a movie making us $300 million in profit. We can no longer count on a movie being a $1.5 billion smash hit, blah, blah, blah. We can no longer count on that revenue. They're going to then have to pivot. Some of the studios in trouble may actually shudder. They may shut down. They go that long. But then you're going to see the studios having to pivot. And shrinking their scale and going to smaller stuff. And Rob, you know, I've said before that, you know, streaming is not the answer. And it's simply not. Again, I I point everybody back to that Hollywood Reporter roundtable where they had all the studio heads talking together and they, they bring up the issues of streaming and stuff like that. It's not the answer. But guess what? If this thing stretches into mid 2021, streaming may not be the answer, but it becomes the only option left on the table. So now you're going to see something that I never thought would have happened before because I never thought the theaters would be closed until 2021. Now you're going to see Black Widow. Guess what? Disney is not going to sit on that for another year. Disney's not going to sit on. I just do not believe that Disney is just going to sit on Black Widow for another year. Black Widow may have to hit streaming. And while a lot of us go, okay, yay, we finally get to see it. Guess what? Disney takes a massive punch to the balls financially because of it. But they can't just, to your point, Rob, you've brought this up many times. You can only leave a big, high-budget, big financial implications movie sitting on the shelf for so long. You can only do that yeah. for so long. You're talking about all these types of stuff, and we're talking about a teutonic shift in the entire movie industry. The movies will survive, but it'll look a lot different, and there's going to be a lot of dominoes that do fall if this thing stretches into 2021. And these things like It's just, it's even hard to fathom, Rob, because once you start realizing what the next domino to fall is, then your head starts going, okay, and if that happens, look at what happens next. And oh my God, if that happens, look at what happens next. It's a really scary, scary thought for this industry. Anyway, Rob, you take a look and and you read this analyst word saying, I mean, we're thinking maybe mid 2021. What are the number one, let me ask you this number one, what do you think the likelihood is of that being true? But then secondly, if it does turn out to be true, what do you see as being the implications of it?
1: Well, first of all, I think that movie theaters are probably going to stay closed in the United States. You know, there's, they're, they're opening up in Germany. They're opening up around the world, places where people have been more responsible than we have been. And they've, they've tamped down this virus. I mean, there's a reason why there's only like two countries left on the earth that will allow Americans into their borders now something nutty like that. And I think that that movies will probably open. And what's going to happen, I think, is that these big budget tentpoles, the problem is, John, those movies are made with borrowed money. The studios don't just have $200 million lying around in a vault somewhere that they use to, to finance their films. No, they borrow the, that money from a bank. So there's interest payments that have to be paid back. And their entire business model is structured on the fact that they know when a movie's going to come out and if they borrowed $200 million to make a no time to die or to make a, a tenant, they know that, OK, on July 17th today, the money was it was going to be coming back to the studio and they can start making those interest payments and paying off their, their what, they, what was part of that production budget. But now they can't. So then those those the interest payments increase. So eventually the studios, like you said, they can't sit on these big tentpole movies forever and not have them especially when you have more than one and they have to start paying back the money they owe because they're in, they're increasing their debt load on a daily basis. So I think what's going to happen is if America can't get its act together and right now this pandemic is raging out of control, uh more so than it did ever, we're never going to get our theaters open, but other other parts of the world will. And I can see that the studios like, well, you know how we would get movies first before the rest of the world. We're going to be the, the country like Japan or something that gets it last, unless it's a worldwide release. I could see that happening. I could see us, the rest of the world's going to get Tenant and Black Widow, and they're going to see these movies, and they're going to make, they might not make everything back because America's obviously a huge market, but they're going to have to start releasing movies in the countries that have been able to get a handle on this virus and open up their theaters. I mean, I could see that happening. But in America, I don't know. And like you said, it would have a devastating effect upon the entire movie business. And streaming can't save everybody, especially it's crazy to me to think that Netflix is going to make a $200 million action film. I understand that. But how do you how do you then that's a lot of subscribers that you have to get back or you have to increase your subscription base to justify a $200 million movie. I just I I. I don't see how the economics will work for that either. I get it if you make a 65 million dollar movie. You know, I get the Snyder cut which might be up to as much as 80 million. That makes sense to me. But streamers can't put on 200 and 250 million dollar films. How do you like if Disney Plus puts Black Widow on their service? They make no money back from that. I mean, sure they can carve out however many subscriptions they'll get based on that, but they don't get the money they've laid out for the production of the movie. That's something they have to eat. And that wasn't something that they were prepared to do because their business model was based on a theatrical release worldwide. And those, they expect a billion dollars from these movies now. And I don't know, dude, uh, we could be for a world of hurt if they don't start opening movies in theaters. It's that's why I think we'll see movies open in theaters in other countries. You know,
0: don't you think? I mean, I've thought about that too. Don't you think there's a danger, though, or, or at least an apprehension there on the part of the studios? When you think about, well, listen, the theaters are opening in Japan now. The theaters are opening in China. The theaters are opening wherever. Wouldn't there be an apprehension on the part of the studios of going? Listen, if we start releasing these in other countries, it's just going to get pirated in the U.S. And then maybe if we ever get a chance to yes. open them in the U.S., it's just. Yeah, but you think, but you think I, that's just that's just a risk they have to take at this point. I,
1: I think at some point, I mean, yeah, piracy would be a huge issue. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know how. Even if you do it on SVOD, you know, you you charge like we were talking about something like No Time to Die coming out for like fifty bucks or ten at twenty bucks. You said you pay twenty bucks, but as soon as you do that, people will pirate those movies as well, and that's a huge problem. And I, I see right now we're in a in a world of hurt because there's all these big movies, whether it's Tenet, whether it's No Time to Die, whether it's The Fast Saga, whether it's The Eternals. These movies that have already been made, the money has been spent. So we've got this sort of interim period. But that could be hugely damaging to the studios as well um, financially by not releasing them, by holding back. I don't know what we're going to do, man. it's It's a mess. I just wish people would. You know, rather than worry about their civil rights or breathing in carbon monoxide, and everyone's now screaming that it's a plot to take over—you know—a one-world government—it's just crazy. It's just—it's just a a disease. It happens all the time. We've got to take it seriously.
0: One of my one of my favorite things I've seen on social media lately was I can't remember. It was some prominent dude who wrote, uh, and I can't remember if I told you this before, but it was a great little thing. Some prominent dude wrote on social media. I put on a mask and within moments I had trouble breathing. Right. Right. And then attached to it was a response from another, from this woman who said, uh, my surgeon who, pre- who wore a mask for six hours while reconstructing my knee says you're a drama queen. But anyway, um, <laughs> so anyway, guys, the question is for the rest of you guys. The question is for you guys. Number one, do you think that this really can remember this is one analyst saying mid 2021, Maybe the case may not be the case. Do you think we could actually see the stretch into 2021, mid-2021? And if so, what do you think the repercussions are going to be? Will it be disastrous? We can recover from disasters. But do you think it could actually be disastrous? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Daniel Kaufman Haygood. And Daniel Kaufman Haygood writes, Hey, John, the Disney Plus August release dates have dropped, and it looks like what we all knew has been confirmed. Falcon and Winter Soldier is not on the list of August releases according to earlier reports they only had six days left to film actually what i heard was nine days i heard they still had nine shooting days they needed to complete not many the finish line was in sight but anyway uh, left to complete filming before they were shut down due to covid how much longer do you think it will take for the show to finally complete filming and be edited and released all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yes We have been talking about this on the show a little bit is uh, the Disney plus stuff, particularly when it comes to Marvel and the questions come up lately, you know, what's going to happen with Falcon and winter soldier. They weren't able to complete filming. Have they been able to sneak into some sound stages in different countries that have opened back up and finish it? Will it still hit its August release date? Will they maybe release the first half of the series, you know, maybe release the first half in August then get back and finish shooting and then maybe release the second half in October or November or something like that. There've been a lot of different theories, but it now does seem like it is now official. The release schedule of all the new stuff coming out on Disney plus in August has come out and noticeable by its absence is, of course, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, this is we got Disney via the Decider revealed the full slate of movies and TV shows and documentaries that will be released on Disney Plus in August, but the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was not included. Disney and Marvel have yet to announce a specific release date for the first episode of the series. However, it was previously confirmed by CEO Bob Iger that it would arrive in August. Obviously, that's not true anymore. With this delay, it remains unclear when the Falcon and Winter Soldier will arrive. All right. One of the first things I should probably point out here is that the big kind of wish that a lot of fans are putting out there, understandably so, is, well, damn it, just release the first half of the series then. You know, release the first four episodes and then finish shooting later on, then put it up. Here's the potential problem with that logic though falcon and winter soldier much like lucifer which is now on netflix and much like a lot of other streaming shows are not traditional tv programs where traditionally like a law and order with 21 episodes in a season they as the first episodes of a season come out they're still working on the other episodes they work at like six or seven weeks ahead right so they're still shooting as it's going on they shoot one episode at a time They shoot one episode, finish that episode, done, send it over to post-production, and then the crew and cast move on to start making the next episode. That is not necessarily how these streaming shows get made. You know, sometimes these episodes, they're shot like a movie where, okay, we're going to shoot scene 43 on day one. On day one, we shoot shoot scene 43. Then on day two, we're going to shoot scenes 18 and 21. And on day three, we're going to shoot scenes one and nine. You know, they, they often will shoot out of order depending on what the schedule is. So while there is this theory about why not just release the first few episodes, it is possible. And I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying it's possible. We need to keep in mind since they're shooting this thing like a movie that the first few episodes may not be complete. Some of those days of shooting may very well have to do with that. But the other kind of theory Rob here, and the other potential problem uh, that we see here with something like this is maybe one of the issues for the delay isn't just that they can't get the nine days of shooting done. We've speculated about this before. How interconnected is Falcon and Winter Soldier with the other stuff going on in the MCU? Like Ant-Man, you could have watched Ant-Man at almost any time, right? But how connected will this be? Because if it's directly connected one way or the other, with a story point or a narrative thread that is supposed to go right into Black Widow or something like that, you know? Then they're in a position where, well, we can't release this show until Black Widow... I mean, again, I don't know that. That's just a piece of speculation. Rob, you've seen that Falcon and Winter Soldier is not listed in the August releases. What do you think might be holding it up and when do you think we might actually end up seeing this thing?
1: Well, my first inclination would be to say that it's a production issue, that it just isn't finished yet because of what happened. I mean, four months of post-production time is a lot. Maybe they just couldn't get it done in time. But knowing the MCU, I could see it having something to do with, I mean, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Black Widow would seem to be the closest in terms of maybe one narrative thread that's left dangling in Black Widow was supposed to be picked up by Falcon and Winter Soldier. I mean, I think that's a on your part a very very uh astute speculation. And maybe something in Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to lead into the Eternals. And mm. and and then, you know, we who knows. Um it's it's it, it makes sense to me because uh the with globe-trotting uh spy thriller superheroics and you've got the Eternals who are probably spread out over the globe or and Black Widow probably spread out all over, you know, I know a lot of it takes place, I guess, in Russia, but I, I it's all interconnected, and I think you're absolutely right. I think one, it probably isn't quite done yet. But two, you know, these things have to play out properly. And they rescheduled Black Widow into what, October?
0: Or November. I can't remember.
1: November, and then they would drop Falcon and Winter Soldier after that. I think we have to assume that the entire MCU has been pushed back further. They don't have to announce that yet, but I would just assume that's the case. But I do find it curious that no one said anything about this.
0: Do you think that, you know, with uh, we just talked about the New Mutants teaser, this is going to be a panel at the virtual, the at-home Comic-Con that's coming up and everything. Do you think Disney and Marvel may... Reveal what their new plans are with with an entire shift of programming or do you think they'll just kind of leave that still? Unspoken at this point
1: no, I think they're gonna they're gonna have to come out and say I I, look I think people are scrambling Hollywood has never been put in this situation ever and and I think people don't understand the economics. They don't understand the ramifications I think everybody's trying to figure out. What does this mean for all of us going forward and? I believe that it's it's not negligence. People just don't know. You know, they're wandering around going, What the hell do we do, man? Like, I, I don't know. And I'm sure Disney, I mean, Marvel has been such a well oiled. Think about it, man. They were delivering two and three movies a year. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Now they have these incredible, <laughs> these huge plans to we're we're going to go into a streaming service. I mean, Disney Plus, you think Disney Plus is not how, I, I'm sure. The powers that be. I'm sure Bob Iger's like, damn it, you know, we pushed this out with our new programming as far as we could go. Mandalorian's a hit. Now we did our Mandalorian gallery show. I mean, we can only milk the Mandalorian so much. We needed Falcon and Winter Soldier to drop on Disney Plus to give us another big boost, because who didn't want to watch that, especially after having Black Widow come out? But now, I mean, the ramifications of all of this are, are, are so wide reaching and the ripples if you if you think of Hollywood or Disney as a pond and the fact that they can't the the not, if the not releasing something is the rock that goes into the pond to ripple out it's affecting every part of Disney's business from from theme parks to Disney plus to movie theaters because you know all of this stuff gets promoted across platforms and and if you don't have it out there I mean, even toys—they always make Marvel toys. What are the Black Widow toys out? I don't even know. But oh my god! I mean, I wanted to know what is the what does the hot toys figures look like for for Black Widow? We don't know because they can't release them yet. Uh, and and uh, what a mess! The,
0: the other thing to keeping—you kind of touched on it there for a second—is that. Disney Plus has got to start putting out more marquee stuff because I was reading this report that while the subscription rate for Disney Plus has been on a more rapid pace than they initially thought, partially because of COVID and everybody stuck at home, what people aren't talking about is that the drop-off rate has been higher than they ever thought it would be. So yes, you're getting all these people, much more people signing up for Disney Plus right now than they originally thought at this point. But they're also having a higher number of people canceling the service than they thought they would be. Now, for them, the good news is that the rate of new subscriptions is outpacing the rate of their drop-off, but it is a much higher drop-off number. And dude, listen, I love Disney's content. I'm considering canceling Disney+. Plus. It's like I can only watch Mandalorian so many times. I can only, you know, so I don't know. So that's another thing they got to take into consideration. The question here, guys, is for you. What do you think about this push of Falcon and Winter Soldier? Do you think it has more to do with not being able to finish the shooting? Do you think it has more to do with the overall scheduling of the rest of the MCU? When do you think we might see this thing finally hit the air? I actually made that the topic of today's question of the day. I wanted to ask you guys. So just before the show started. I jumped on Facebook and of course our polls are on uh, or I I should say my YouTube channel. The polls are on my YouTube channel under the community tab. And I asked you guys just before the show started, Falcon and Winter Soldier will not release in August as originally planned. Do you think the show will hit Disney Plus before the end of 2020? So not just September, October, will even by November, will we see it even before the end of 2020? And right now, a a little over 2,500 of you guys have already voted Only 43% of you guys are saying, yes, you think Falcon and Winter Soldier will actually come out in 2020. As of right now, 57% of you guys are saying, no, it will not come out until 2021. I thought we would see a little bit of an advantage for the yeses, but you guys are saying 43%, yes, it'll come out, 57%, no, it will not come out. I'm gonna leave that up on the community tab. Guys, make sure if you wanna see that community tab, Make sure you guys go over to my YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. You're on my YouTube channel right now. Take a second, click the subscribe button, and then keep up to date with all that stuff. So we're going to leave that up there. But in the meantime, guys, what do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. It's been a busy day. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric Huffman, who writes, where's Eric? There he is. Eric writes, hey, John, did you hear that Noah, I am, I'm almost sure, certainly I always mispronounce his last name, Sentino has been cast as Adam Smasher in the Black Adam solo film. I don't know a great deal about his resume outside of the Netflix film he was in, which I believe to all the boys I've loved before is the one where he got his fame. Uh, What are your thoughts on the casting and do you think this film will hit its release date? Thanks and stay sweaty. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, there has been a big casting announcement, which is, again, I'm always going to mispronounce his name, Noah Centineo, probably Centineo. Noah Centineo has joined the Black Adam movie as Adam Smasher. Now, if some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I don't watch this to all the boys I've loved before show, but that name sounds familiar. The reason that name sounds familiar is because last year he hit the news because he was cast to play He-Man in the upcoming live action thing. A movie, by the way, Rob, at this point, I have no idea if that movie is still on the books or not. I, I, I simply have no idea if that movie is even still in the books or not. Well, let's see. But he's joining the Black Adam movie. Now, going back to the second part of your question, which is, do I think the Black Adam movie is even going to hit its release date? Dude, listen, I, I have no idea when they were planning to start shooting. And depending on when they were planning to start shooting, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I think right now, if you ask any about any movie, will X movie hit its release date? Your first answer has to be, I think it's questionable that it will with any movie you're talking about right now. Because not only, even if Black Adam is not scheduled to start shooting for a while, you're talking about all these other movies that are having to be pushed now. And that's probably going to have a ripple effect. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. As far as how do I, what I think about this kid being cast to star alongside Dwayne The Rock Johnson in a movie like Black Adam I simply don't know because, like a lot of you, I've never seen To All the Boys I've Loved Before. I know it, it's, it gained a real following, and a lot of people who've seen it really, really enjoy it, but full disclosure, I've never seen it myself. It's I'm not really the demographic for it, so I cannot speak to this kid's acting ability. And you guys know, to me, that's all it ever is. The only thing I care about when somebody gets cast in the in role is, is that performer a good actor? Is she a good actor? Is he a good actor? That's all I ever care about. And I simply don't know enough about this kid yet. Other than the fact that I thought he was a very strange choice to play He-Man. But other than that, I really don't know much more about it. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this. What do you think, number one, about this kid being uh, signed on? But number two, what do you think about the character that he's playing? What are your thoughts on all this?
1: Well, I like the character of of Adam Smasher. You know, a a version of him appeared in a, a second season episode of The Flash. Uh, Adam Smasher That's Spasher.
0: right. Yes, you're was, right about it, that.
1: And it, it, he was he was a part of um Infinity Incorporated, which is a comic that I I liked. I mean, he comes out of classical uh um uh just uh, classical DC history. So I I love the character. I, I think the character's cool. Um but I don't know anything about this kid either. And I find it interesting, I mean, how are they going to if they're going to bring in Adam Smasher, they're going to bring in The rest of Infinity Incorporated? I mean, are they going to bring in Obsidian characters like that? I don't know. It it intrigues me about the Black Adam movie that they would bring Adam Smasher in. I'm excited about this movie, John. And while I don't know this kid, and I thought it was a weird choice for him to play He-Man as well, the picture you have up right now, I mean... That kid, he could be a superhero. He's got the looks. He's, he's got put, the physique. He's put I guess. on about
0: he's put on about fifteen good pounds in that picture because that's yeah, not I what mean, he looked like before. <laughs> he still no, doesn't look I, like He Man to me, but he looks a lot bigger
1: than he did. I, I would, I could only imagine if you're in a Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie. I can't imagine. Would he demand that you work out with him? Because here's, you know, here's his something his funny: workout seen- videos on social media and stuff are brutal. <laughs> Have you seen?
0: I don't know. Are, are you aware of this new show on Netflix? With um, oh, why am I freezing on this kid's name? Uh, uh, he was in Baywatch with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, uh, High School Musical kid. Why why am I freezing on his name? I actually like this guy a lot. Um, the big teen heartthrob dude. High School oh, Musical. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why guys, help tra- me out here. What's what's? Why am I freezing on this? Zach uh, Zach Zac Efron. That's Zac, what it is. Zach Zac 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 Efron. Efron. Yeah. There's a new show on Netflix with Zach Efron where him and this fitness dude, they literally travel the world. And like this, la- this latest episode I saw, they went to this little town in Italy where people habitually live into their hundreds. And they're like, look at what's the genetic stuff here? What is it about their diet and their lifestyles? And this little like... Backward town in Italy, or then they'll go to like Iceland and look at the way they use natural resource. It's really cool. But anyway, the reason I bring all that up is that Zac Efron, uh, this new episode I was just watching, he was talking about the fact, uh, his shooting for Baywatch in which he had to appear shirtless with Dwayne, the rock Johnson. And he was like, (laughs) dude, he said, without a word of a lie, I didn't eat a slice of bread. Not a single carbohydrate entered my body for six months. Like it's just because you're appearing with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So yeah, I'm I'm guessing you got to get after it if you're going to be being a movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You got to
1: get after it. (laughs) I love that phrase.
0: But but listen, I will say this though: amidst all the doom and gloom, uh, theaters may not open till 2021, and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier delayed. I got to admit, even though it just might be naive on my part. It, it shines a little bit of light into my heart when I hear about other projects making progress. So even though I don't want to read too much into this at all, just hearing that they've made a significant casting for an upcoming movie like Black Adam, it makes me smile a little bit. So I, I at least yeah. say that. Question here for you guys is what do you think of this casting? Maybe you have watched this to all the boys I've loved before. Maybe you're familiar with Nick's work and you like it. Maybe you're familiar with this work, his work and you don't. Do you think Black Adam's going to hit on time? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're now going to move into our live questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, you guys can still send it in. Simply simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video, or you can simply use the link streamelands.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And by the way, you can use this link anytime. So if you're watching this video after the fact, you can go and use it right now. And your question will be one of the first that gets answered on the next episode. Anyway, guys, with that down, let's get into your live questions. And we're going to start things off here in our live questions with Kara Black, who writes... The Batman, the animated series episode I was referring to was the first one Freeze appeared in. Oh, I remember this. So yesterday, Kara asked a question if uh, what my first impressions were of a certain episode of Batman, the animated series. Um, She named the episode, but I never know. Even in my favorite shows, I don't know the names of the episodes. I never have. Anyway, the the episode I was referring to was the first Mr. Freeze appeared in as we were finally given a chilling and heartbreaking origin story about why he is the way he is. So I was wondering if you could recall watching it for the first time so first of all let me just say the voice of that character i always loved because he had a voice like this i just i love the way that character spoke in that it was great and of course going actually into the story about his wife chilling i will say this though that was nearly 30 years ago I believe, I believe Batman the Anime Series debuted in 1992, if I'm not mistaken, which is like 28 years ago. Um, so I got to admit, no, I do. I re- I recall the episode, but I, I I absolutely do not recall seeing it for the first time and and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't life altering enough for me to remember something like that. That was 28 years ago. I love that series. Listen, there are a it's lot of places. Great like IGN that listed it as like the second greatest animated series of all time. Like not just animated comic book series, second great, It won several Emmy awards. I, I believe it won three or four Emmys, including like best animated uh, show and all that kind of stuff. It was great. But I no, I don't recall watching that episode for the first time. Rob, do you remember that episode in particular?
1: I do. Um, I, I do, but I can't remember the first episode I saw of the Batman, the animated series. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I came to it later, you know, and people were talking about how good it was. Like living, it was funny because living in in LA in the 90s, there were were always people going to like Paul Dini's house, you know, for parties and stuff. And uh, a lot of people in my circle knew a lot of people that were, or some of my friends actually worked on that show. And I finally sat down one day to watch it. I'm like, my God, this is great. And I, you know, that first season of episodes was so good. You can't not remember them. I mean, once you've once you've seen them, it's like it's hard to forget. And uh, one of the things I I have not picked up, I've been remiss this year is the Blu-rays of Batman, the animated series. I need mm, yeah. to get those. I
0: remember when we talked about that, those were coming out. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on here. Next up, Tristan Thorpe writes. One of two. A couple of weeks back, I watched the last Airbender movie, and the following week I planned on talking about it on my podcast, and I was tempted to rewatch it, but I didn't because I thought, I figure I wasn't going to talk about it for long, and sure enough when I got talking about it, it all came back to me. The issues I have with with it, like many, characters are badly written, not enough character interactions uh, with the main characters, the pacing is quick, and too much exposition. Uh, Oh yeah, the performances were so bad too, and for me, even uh, for me, even With bad movies, most of the time I can say the performances were solid, but with The Last Airbender, to me, that was the first bad movie where I truly felt the performances were terrible, except for Iroh. Yeah, I mean, I had not seen Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series, when the movie came out. And so the movie was my first experience with Avatar The Last Airbender. And so I can say that I didn't like the movie just because it wasn't as good as the TV series because I had never seen the TV series. I had no idea. I just sat down and watched it and went, yep, this sucks. Uh, which is funny and too bad because I actually thought the marketing for Last Airbender was pretty good. I thought the marketing for M. Night's Last Airbender movie was pretty solid. I was excited to see it. And then it, uh, as soon as that, like five minutes into that movie, I'm like, this is horrible. And it prevented me for a long time from watching the series. And then just recently, I I finally sat down about a month ago and I decided to watch the Avatar The Last Airbender series. It was only three seasons. And I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. But yeah, man, it's just a lot of things wrong with that movie, dude. A lot of things wrong. Also, Tristan also writes, also, fun fact, I also talked about Joel Schumacher uh, and the films uh, that I like that he directed on my show as well because it would have been a, a repetitive talking about his Batman movies. It was really fun to talk about Lost Boys and Phone Booth, which was pro- which was his best film. I think Lost Boys. That is a movie today, Rob, that I still don't think people talk about enough. That that for, that for Lost Boys movie, Kiefer Sutherland, um, uh, the only other movie that the Bill and Ted guy I think ever did. <laughs> ever did. Alex Winter. Um, uh, Alex Winter. That's right. I think it's like the only movie I can think of that, of, that he actually the appeared silent in
1: Lost Boy. <laughs> the
0: si- That's right, and it was. He didn't. He really basically didn't speak. I love that movie. That movie to me is still. I would put a top two or three best vampire based movies ever. I love that one. When you think of Schumacher, what what's the first stuff that comes to your head?
1: Well, I, I do think of of Lost Boys. I, I but I think his best movies falling down.
0: Oh, that one's great. With Michael you Douglas? Know, with Michael,
1: I mean, it just becomes more relevant. But I also have a soft spot for Flatliners, the movie he made yep. after Lost Boys. But, I mean, what a cast that movie has, Kiefer, too.
0: Kiefer Sutherland was in that one as well, was he not?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Bacon and Julia Roberts. I mean, it's got an incredible uh, cast. But, you know, and then, and then of course, is Batman – it's funny, you, I really love the fact that Batman Forever, the Val Kilmer movie, is getting a whole lot of love. You know, they're talking, people are coming I out I always about,
0: thought it was better than people gave it credit for.
1: Yeah, it's getting a lot of love, and even Hot Toys is going to do- a Val Kilmer and a, a Chris, uh, uh, a Chris O'Donnell figure, the Batman and Robin figures from those movies, and I—it's—it's it's good because he had a pretty interesting career. I mean, he made a lot more movies than people remember, and yeah, and I—I—I um, I, I always thought he was stylish. I have to tell you, when I was at USC, I had a this credit, this course called the Visiting Artist Seminar, and it was a very small class. It was Tuesday nights, and the teacher would bring in industry professionals to speak and this was in 88 89 and one day joel schumacher came in and he spoke for three hours and there's only like 15 or 20 people in this class and he walks in the room and there was a desk at the front of the room and he he gets on top of the desk and he sits lotus style like he was gonna meditate or something and he was the nicest, most raucous, just fun, insightful. He was a total character, so nice. And I used to see him on the Warner lot after that when I was working there, and I loved him. I mean, I just loved Joel Schumacher. He was such a delightful man and had so many great stories. And, you know, he started, he was a screenwriter, and he was a designer, and he was just, what a character that guy was. And, um, you know, he lived a good life.
0: All right, next up here we got El Postino, the postman, writes, Hey, John, should the NFL have promoted slash promotion slash regulation with the CFL where the winner of the Grey Cup team earns promotion to the NFL and the loser of the NFL relegated uh, relegation playoffs determined by the teams with the worst record in the NFL is relegated to the CFL? Well, that's like a, a lot of the premier soccer leagues have that, right? Like you play in a certain league, but if you win the championship in that league, you get to go up to the bigger league. And if you're in the bigger league and you, like, finish last or whatever, you go down to the league below it and stuff like that, relegation. Here's the problem with that. The biggest problem with that, why it could never happen, is because the CFL game and the NFL game are two different games. They have massively different rules. Not to mention, the CFL has rules in place. Like, it's not – like, CFL has a bigger field. They only have three downs instead of four downs. There's no uh, fair catches. Like when you punt the ball, you got to get it and you got to run. Uh, there's no fair catches. There's all the, the... They have one extra player, one additional player on the field as opposed to... So it says it's, a lot of very significant rule differences. But also one of the big rule differences is that in the CFL, there is a quota rule that says a certain percentage of the players on your team have to be Canadian. Um, and so... You know, you can have American players, but a certain percentage of each team, the CFL has to be made up of Canadian players. And so when you take all that in consideration, you can't just take a team that wins the great cup. And and by the way, I think the CFL game is a better game. I think the better league is the NFL and you got all the best players there. Yes. But I, I, with the rule changes, the rule differences, I should say, I think the CFL is a more exciting brand of football. That's just me. Because with three downs and a bigger field, it incorporates and it encourages a much more wide-open offensive style of game. But anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But just the fact that you got these quota rules, it's a completely different game. Not completely different game, but it's a very, very significantly different game with the rules. You can't just take a team from one league and then pop it in the next in the next one up or the next one down. So unfortunately, it's an interesting idea, Al Postino, but you can't really do it. All right, Stubble McShave writes, Over under 20%, we get a Dune teaser trailer before the end of July, and over under 50%, we get it before the end of August. I'm going to go under on both. The way the situation is right now, I don't think the studio is going to want to throw away a lot of marketing money on something when they're not 100% solid, they know when it's going to be able to open. So while I'm not saying that the movie won't open on time, I'm simply saying... It's Certainly in July and probably by the end of August, it's going to be too early for them to commit like 20, 30, 40 million dollars in marketing um, when they're not even sure to come up. So I'm going to take the over on both of that stubble. Scott Brown writes, a show on Netflix I would love to recommend uh is duty and shame it's fantastic it has justin long Ooh, i love justin long i think he's i love justin long i think he's fantastic as a side character with a great cast it's about a detective in japan who was sent to london to find his brother who who was a hitman uh long thought dead what's it called duty and shame up like my alley
1: never heard of it
0: <laughs> uh surprise surprise an uh, original thing on Netflix that none of us know about because Netflix is the worst place in the world for promoting their own content. It sounds intriguing to me, though, right? You like the sound of this?
1: I, Dude, anything to do with Japan and I'm in detectives and <laughs> hitmen. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. And I
0: love just like I said, I'm a big Justin. Long, I've been a big Justin Long fan ever since Galaxy Quest jeepers creepers you go all the way i just i love this that guy I, I i do not know why he's not a bigger star i seriously i don't understand why he's not a bigger star anyway next up netflix mark speaking of which netflix marketing department writes uh with you educating us on movie costs the other day it made me think when movie theaters finally open Will the studios have to pour more money into the marketing or will they rely on previous marketing, some of which is month old, a quiet place too? Well, here's the thing. The real money is not making the marketing material. That's not where the real money is spent. The real money is spent on taking the marketing material you have, and it does cost money to make the marketing material, yes. But the bigger expense is then placing the marketing material. You know, when a studio makes a trailer, They don't spend as much money on making the trailer as they do for then putting that trailer on the Super Bowl or putting that trailer in theaters or buying national television spots for that trailer. That's where the real money adds up. So you could still use the old trailers. Yeah, you could still do that. The problem is now they got to buy. For instance, Rob, I was just talking about this the other day, Tenant, which is probably going to bump its release date again. Tenant just spent a whole hell of a lot of money on uh ufc 251 that i was just watching they spent a lot of money on that august 12th august 12th tenant from from visionary filmmaker chris christopher nolan blah, blah, blah. they spent a lot of money on that and guess what when it gets bumped they're gonna have to spend all that money again to remarket the new date keep people reminded that the thing is coming and all that kind of stuff so it's it's gonna get expensive dude like uh, and so but I don't know i i don't see there being a problem with using the old trailers it's just that you got to modify them for the new release date or do you think they it's behooves them to completely create fresh new trailers at that point
1: man i, I again this is we're so in territory that i i don't know I, I mean I just every time like you just pointed out they spend a lot of money and if they pull the movie do they do they have to spend... I would think, John, they have to spend that money again to reacquaint people. I mean, if they push the movie a month or two months or a year, they basically have to start all over again. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm curious about is, once you've advertised a movie, like, we've never seen this happen before, so let's say they push Tenet into 2021. Are people going to think like, wait a minute, didn't that already come out? Like, you know, not everybody's the movie fanatics that we are that watch the, the YouTube movie pundit space. I mean, how is the gen pop going to feel about that? Like, yeah. wait a minute. Didn't this movie already come out? Like, is it not good? Why am I hearing about this again? <laughs> you know, it's a very weird time. And I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work, dude. I really don't know.
0: Yep. it's uh, yet uh, another thing about the unprecedented time we're in right now. All right. Next up, Alex uh, Detman who tipped $50. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, Alex. We really appreciate it. And in the next coming weeks, you're going to see this question segmented out and put up as its own standalone video on the channel. Keep your eyes open for that. But Alex writes, Hey, John, I know movies based on video games are shit. Most of them are. There've been a couple of okay ones though, uh, but it left me wondering with the outstanding game mechanics now, nowadays, um, last of us to red dead redemption. Why aren't there more games based on movies? And if you could pick three movies to be made to a game, what would they be? Uh, my picks would be number one, John Wick; two, Logan, uh, based before the movie and how he and Professor S made it to Mexico after the killing of uh, of the X Men; three, The Equalizer, especially with the hand, the to hand combat and shooting mechanic systems. Uh, P.S. Been busy, but I miss you, brother. All right, thanks a lot for that, Alex. Um, you know, it used to be a big thing back in the back in the day, Rob. When we had, um, when I was a young boy, or <laughs> when we had in television, remember in television, oh man,
1: I when, loved in television.
0: I loved in television too. When we had ColecoVision, when we had you know all that, we had the original Atari or say, when a movie would come out was even remotely big, they immediately made a game out of it. Like yeah, one but of they the were worst. Usually bad. Oh god, remember E.T.?
1: Yeah. Oh.
0: That 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 was like I, like they literally took like 100,000 copies of E.T. and literally buried them in the desert. It's it's crazy. But anyway, they would always do that. Here's the thing, though. Video games are not movies, and movies are not video games. And just because you have like a character, that doesn't mean it's going to make a good video game, right? Video games are about the gameplay. 100%. They're about the gameplay, And if you have a great game playing game, it doesn't matter if you slap a John Wick uh, decal on it. It doesn't matter if you slap a old guard decal on it. It doesn't matter if you slap an atomic blonde decal on it, or if you just create an original property and call it UFO, the action dog and slap that brand on it, then the game can be successful. But we do love associating our, our favorite media. So I got to tell you, if I had to pick one, Uh, I I would be down for trying a John Wick game because that just seems to lend itself to that. Rob, if there was one movie you could pick out right now that you would think would make a good translation to a video game just because of the, the nature of the IP, what do you think it would be?
1: Well, I would like to see it like a Fast and Furious Fast Five game. (laughs) <laughs> you know, where you play fastball, you like you have to rescue Vin Diesel and then you have to you. you, you I mean, it would be ex- an expansion of the franchise, but uh, the different missions like you. I would love it. You have to work in tandem with another character to pull there in one car. You're in the other car. and You have to pull that 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 um, the safe, the giant vault through the city together as it's smashing through buildings and other cars. I'd love to see something like that. I'd play that game.
0: All right, let's move on here. Todd S. writes. Hey, John, I know you're a big fan of the Airwolf and Knight Rider themes. I am. I have two of the best themes ever in the history of television. Uh, there is a girl on YouTube named Samara Ginsburg. She plays them on the cello. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but it's her in eight different videos blending together to do the theme. It's great. Airwolf for eight cellos. I Listen, I I've never heard of her, but I'm going to go check that out. I am a sucker for cello players. Um, who don't play traditional stuff? Like for example, there's this group, these two guys. Rob, I don't know if you, if I've talked to you. About oh, them before. I know that
1: the two, Yes,
0: two cellos. They're
1: called. Yes, and they're they rule.
0: Fantastic. They rule. They're fantastic. It's just these two, like Czech Republic guys, I think, or something like that. That they just play. The two guys play cello, and they, you put it best. They rule. Ann and I have gone to see them live twice. We actually oh, really? went to. They actually played where they hold the Oscars at the um, uh, the Dolby the, the Dolby Theater where they hold the Oscars. They did a show there, and Ann and I went to go see them about two years ago. Play there, uh, if you guys want to see something really cool, go look up Two Cellos Thunderstruck on on YouTube, and that'll give you a sense. But they do originals as well, blah blah. blah. And you know, I was just watching the other day. I sat down Rob to watch the Hans Zimmer live in Prague concert. Oh, where he's awesome. playing a lot of the, the, the DCU stuff. And I watched it because I wanted to see his Superman theme. It's, oh, but, you know, they've got, uh, what's her name? Something now? Tina Guo. Guo or Guo, okay. whatever. Who's the cello player? Who, she's the lead on the Wonder, Wonder Woman theme, right? Yeah, she plays like, the
1: electric cello and she's smoking hot.
0: And she does like metal sometimes too. She'll play like yeah. metal on it. It's like, yeah, I'm yeah. a sucker for cellos playing. Non traditional stuff. So I'll tell you what, Todd, thanks for the pointer, man. I am definitely going to have to go and check that out. Thanks for sharing. All right, an anonymous viewer writes in. On a side note, my friend, check your email in a few days. I put together a feel good video uh, of the people you've helped while I've been here, and I think you'll like it. Uh, be safe, and I'll be t- uh, talking to you. So- oh, thank you so much for that, man. I'll keep my eye open for that. I appreciate that very much. I always love hearing from people uh, who talk about how the show incorporates into their day. It just it's a special kind of feeling. Thank you so much for sharing that, man. All right, next up, AJ writes. Hey John, a few weeks ago I finished the German Netflix show Dark. Not only is it one of the best Netflix shows, but I think it's one of the best shows ever created. The writing is superb and it all wraps up perfectly and left me in awe. You know, a lot of people have been talking to me about this show Dark, Rob. Have have you watched it?
1: <coughs> I haven't watched the third season yet, but it's it's amazing. It's very complex. You know what, For but people it, who
0: it, haven't seen it yet, Rob, let me throw it over to you. Like, explain people like Dark and, and what it is they're in for, and, and why you like it.
1: Well, it starts out as a as a thriller, uh, uh, and it's set it's set in Germany, and there are a couple of fam- four families. There's a couple of families, and it's they get involved. There's mysterious disappearances. There's wacky stuff happening and i i don't want to ruin it but it turns out that there's time travel involved with all of this and it's very very clever as to how time travel is utilized and then you start following there's there well, i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to ruin it john because it's the unfolding of the story that's that's pretty masterful but it does get very complex there are times when i had to go back and go wait wait who, who's where and what time frame are they in and it's a it's a it's a really incredible show now i haven't seen the third season yet and as soon as the third season's dropped people have been just writing in going oh no they stuck the landing on this it's like the greatest show ever but i would say that it it has one of the most effective uses of time travel That's that, I I I, that I think I've ever seen. But it is – it requires a lot of attention. Now, I've tried to watch the show both dubbed and subtitled, and I vastly prefer – I like – I watch – I only – I never like looking at things dubbed. So I would suggest watching it subtitled. I know some people aren't into it, but – It's definitely worth your time, but it is a complex show. It requires uh, an attention span, but man, (laughs) is it cool.
0: All right. Uh, Next up. Uh, we've got Micah T who writes I don't know if you saw but if you go to LeBron's Instagram story he's wearing a pretty filthy Star Wars colorway of his shoes ooh I thought you would appreciate them as much as I did I am not aware of that but you know LeBron's my favorite basketball player uh, playing today and uh, I'm a big Star Wars guy so I'm going to have to do a little bit of an image shirt actually you know could you guys do me a favor or Micah would you mind if you've got that image because I don't follow uh, LeBron on Instagram if you have a screenshot of it could you email it to me I would love to see it just email me at John at the John That's John at the John I would love to see that. Thank you for putting that on my radar. All right, Sam Chen writes. One of two, I always appreciated but not loved Doom Patrol until this latest episode, Finger Patrol. It pulls back a bit on the craziness and combines deep drama with genuine comic book thrills when Cliff explains how he struggles to remember how it feels to uh, touch things and people. I got chills. That scene is performed in a way that invites us all into Cliff's metal body and human suffering. Larry's intense storyline with his family and that brutal ending elevates the series to premium TV status for me. Sam, listen we I, you just I can't talk enough about Doom Patrol this show, um, the way I've described it is um Shakespeare is the architect is the uh, um, yeah the architect Shakespeare is the architect who built the house and Kevin Smith is the interior designer who decorates it that that's the best way I know how to describe Doom Patrol. It is the deepest, most profound, stuff they cover in the most wacky, off the wall, crazy kind of way. And, Rob, I don't know if you saw if, – if you've been catching up on uh, this season of Doom Patrol at all. I haven't uh, seen
1: this season, but I love oh. the first season.
0: I I just didn't know if they would be able to follow up. And, dude, they have followed up. And two episodes ago was an episode titled The Sex Men. I never remember the names of episodes, but I'll always remember the name of that one. The Sex Men, not the X-Men, <laughs> the Sex Men. And uh, this last one, uh, I just finally watched it yesterday. Um. Oh my God, the stuff they're doing in the show is so fantastic. I expect you'll see it move off of the... Uh, the uh, DC streaming service and probably onto HBO Max here, but uh, so good, Sam. I I completely agree with you, Sam. I completely agree with you. It's just, this show just gets better and better as it goes, and I'm absolutely in awe of it. Uh, Sam also writes, do you think athletes can or should be compared across different sports? I think the number of participants is a factor. For instance, I consider Messi the greatest athlete ever since he dominates the most accessible sport, hence with the most competition. I don't think that as, I I don't consider that at all. I I don't consider it at all all here's the measure I saw ESPN talk about this before and this is and I really like their approach to it and why I think this approach works the way ESPN uh, when they were talking this one time this is just a couple years ago and they were talking about um, you know determining the, the most dominant athlete of their sport and their measure was the way the way they measured it was this Take the athlete we're talking about and then see, mathematically speaking, how they compared. So if you got the athlete you're talking about, how did they compare to the rest of their peers during that era? So you have Michael Jordan here. The rest of the NBA was like here, right? You had, I don't know, Brett Favre here, the rest of the NFL here. And when they broke it down, like statistically, when you break down how many points and blah blah blah, and how much were they separated, it wasn't even close. Who they determined was clear, the most dominant athlete of their sport of all time. Rob, do you want to take a guess who that athlete might have been? When you're talking about, you're talking about statistic-wise, is is like, for, was further separated from the rest of their peers than any other athlete in their sport.
1: I, I don't know. Muhammad it was Ali, Wayne
0: Gretzky. It was Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky was so much better than everybody else in the game when he played it. Mm. It it was almost a mockery. Like it was almost a mockery. Like imagine um, LeBron James when the when uh, like the second, third, and fourth highest scorers in the league were averaging 28 points per game, but LeBron James was averaging 51 points per game. As impossible as that sounds, that's the type of gap between Wayne Gretzky and the rest of every other hockey player in the world. Can you imagine, again, using basketball as an analogy, if one single player held the all-time record for points, assists, and rebounds? It, it doesn't. That, that does does not happen. It never will happen. But guess what? Wayne Gretzky was the has the most goals, the most assists, and the most points he holds almost every significant record there ever is or ever was it was like he was the best quarterback in the NFL and the best safety in the NFL all at the same time he is so far separated from everybody else it was just a non comparison so if you want to look at it in terms of athletes relative to their dominance over their peers when they played it's not even cl- like it's not even close it's not even a discussion to be had. Wayne Gretzky was so far ahead. He's not even my favorite hockey player of all time. My favorite hockey player of all time is Mario Lemieux. But, and then second is Mike Bossy. But, um, but Gretzky was just so far ahead of everybody else. It wasn't even close. All right. Anyway, next up, double crit rights is the mortal Kombat scorpions revenge film on your radar not i'm aware of it but nope not interested in it at all to be honest i know you dislike the direct-to-video animated wb stuff but this is basically a 70 minute intro into the vast mortal Kombat roster i think it was made to prepare audiences for the 2021 live action film well, that was a mistake because no one's going to watch it. Um, I mean, like as far as vast numbers of audiences go. Uh, to me, the biggest problem with the animated DC films is their half-baked continuity, particularly once they started adapting the the uh, controversial New 52 material. All the great ones are pre-2014 for a reason. Scorpion's Revenge doesn't have that issue. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Double Crit, I have no interest in it. I am interested in, in the Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, Rob, I think you probably are too. I'm interested in that movie. Are you familiar with this Scorpions animated thing? Uh, have you? Uh, do you have any interest in it?
1: No, I, I mean, look, I've liked a lot of the uh, the uh, DC animated films. You know, I own a lot of them, but I I'm not. You know, I usually pick them up after the fact if people say that they're good. You know, right? Um, but I, I it's. I, I, I mean, I fo- I try and focus more. There's so much to focus on. They aren't at the top of my priority list of things that I keep on my radar. But if I hear that they're good, like I, you know, I picked up Flashpoint Paradox people said it was good. I liked the comic story, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I liked the Wonder- that's One. I
0: didn't mind. I didn't mind that one.
1: Yeah, I liked the Judas Contract, even though they changed it, and then I liked the F- Wonder Woman one that they did, but. Uh, My problem is I really wish that the style of animation was a little different um, or or that they changed up the style of animation from film to film, like did some really diverse things, which they don't do. But, you know, they're not bad. It's all it's all cost. It's all it's it's cost
0: effective for them to do it that way and to crank that stuff out. Um, Okay, Uh, we got uh, time for one or two more here with Rob still here. This next one, Shane Roxas writes. Hey, John, to clear up the T1000 clothes argument, the T1000 can only mimic what it comes into contact with. So presumably Skynet wouldn't have clothes for it to mimic, thus forcing the T1000 to copy whatever it first came into contact with. The problem with that, because we raised the question, Rob, if the T1000 can just make it look like he's wearing clothes, why does he come through naked? Well, guess what? They had lots of human bodies wearing clothes that he could just touch and come through wearing clothes. That's still a part I don't understand. Unless, have you thought of any more theories regarding that, Rob?
1: (laughs) No, but I've been thinking about this a lot. (laughs)
0: i know right it gets into your head and you find yourself thinking about it a whole bunch and which i do not know why all right uh next up here uh dark knight rises writes first thanks so much for the blessing you and your show are to people all over the world oh thank you so much man i appreciate that that's some kind words uh second what's your opinion on how good an actor robert redford is he tends to play himself as far as i can tell but his work uh uh, in all is lost is oscar worthy here's You know, I I remember having a conversation about Robert Redford before. There are definitely similarities in how whether you're watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or Sneakers or whatever, there's some similarities in the characters that run through. The test for an actor to me, there are two big things. One, how much of a chameleon are you? Like Daniel Day-Lewis can step into the shoes of anything and he will completely morph into that thing. So that's the one thing. I've never felt Robert... Redford is that chameleon type where he can just become whatever it is he's supposed to be. But there's a second thing. One, how much of a chameleon are you? That's important to me. The other big important thing to me is this. Do you get me lost in the movie by your performance? Does your performance just make me not see you, but see whoever it is and whatever it is the character you are? When I watch Robert Redford, he does that. It doesn't matter what I'm watching him in. It doesn't matter if he's in Winter Soldier or whatever. When he is performing, I get immediately immersed. He has a quality about him that gets me immediately immersed into who and what his character is. And so maybe he's not the Daniel Day-Lewis kind of brilliant, but I still consider him to be a brilliant actor because he does that for me every single time. Rob, what are your thoughts on Robert Redford?
1: I like Robert Redford. I mean, I've, I've grown up with him, and I think he's – I mean, three days of the Condor. You know, I I love that film. I did love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, I I I like him. I mean, do I think that he's the greatest actor in the world? Maybe not, but I really like him as a presence. You know, I there's something about him I've always liked.
0: And you know, everybody will obviously we go to Butch Cassidy and some of his classics. I don't care. My favorite movies of his is still Sneakers.
1: I can watch Sneakers. Sneakers is great. And like, I, you know, I grew up, I watched the electric horseman like a million times on cable, you know, but Sneakers is a great movie. That's a movie that doesn't really get talked about a lot, but it's got what a cast that movie has
0: uh uh it's uh
1: ben kingsley's in it uh, it's you got just sir ben
0: kingsley's bad guy you got dan Aykroyd is in there you got james earl jones pops up you got uh uh walk or river phoenix i should river say phoenix um uh, uh david uh, uh david Str- strathairn Str- Str- yeah i always mispronounce his last name i mean it is a killer killer cast it's just oh it's so good okay uh next one up here um dark knight rises also writes hey john i am not satisfied with any of the rumored actors uh, with a possible exception of henry cavill to replace daniel craig as bond is there any way christian bale or eric Bannon could enter the picture well i mean look it, it comes down to this it, i i don't care all i care about listen because the reality is dark knight rises if you had put out a public poll which there basically was ad nauseum they're looking at heath ledger to play joker Nobody would have accepted that very few people. There are a bunch of liars today who go, Oh, I knew that was brilliant. No, you weren't. No, you didn't. Uh, everybody's like broke back mountain boy. And, and look, the, the key is it all depends on what a director wants a character to bring an actor to bring to the character. Right. And so that's why it's always folly when I, and I do it too. But when I and the rest of us as film fans do these speculative fan castings, it's folly because we don't know what the director is looking for. We don't know what specific elements they want a particular actor to bring to a character. See, because what we as fans do, Rob, is we start writing a movie in our own head to suit the actor we want to have in that role. Right. Right. So we think, I want Christian Bale. And then we have the, a James Bond movie written for Christian Bale in our head. Yeah. And that's the reverse of the way it needs to happen. So look- If they cast Christian Bale, of course, that's great news. He's a great actor. If they cast an Eric Bana, who we really don't see much of these days, but I I would be happy with it because I like him as an actor. I think Eric Bana is probably a little old to start playing James Bond right now. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I'm I'm all for Henry Cavill because he was the runner up to Daniel Craig. But remember everybody hated Daniel Craig's casting at first too. Remember that was that huge Craig, uh, Craig yeah, not blonde. Yeah, he was
1: blonde. Yeah, know. remember that
0: though Craig not blonde. He's not good looking enough. He's got blonde hair. Blah blah Craig not Bond. He's now my favorite Bond of all time. So, I think we've got to give more leeway to the directors to choose that that's why i always say the only thing that i concern myself with is do i think the person they're getting is a talented performer that's all i care about if they're a talented performer and there's nothing extreme that should negate them from playing the together then i'm all for it i interrupt you got a you got a top of a wish list for the new bond because i know you're uh,
1: a big uh, bond guy yeah i think henry cavill would be like we've talked about how we both love man from uncle and he oh, was great in that. that. I think, and Henry Cavill's thirty-seven. He's the sweet spot. He's the right age for Bond. But you know, people talk about Richard Madden from um, um, Rob Stark, who who was in uh, the Bodyguard, Bodyguard? Or Bodyguard, the BBC show. I I like him as well. Uh, I think he could be great. But other than those two, I you know, I, I I'm I still think that the Broccoli family. I think that they're going to sell the Bond franchise. I still think that.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. Uh, All right. Last one here that we'll have with Rob here because he's got things he's got to do. Sam writes – I think Deadpool will happen and be R. It just feels like Disney is trigger shy. I wonder what this means for Blade, because I agree that you can do PG-13, but like Deadpool it feels more appropriate uh, for Blade to be R as well. Uh, I know you gave your reasons why Deadpool and X-Men should be separate, but the idea of both playing in the same sandbox with the Avengers is something I think Disney can't pass on. I know it means less movies, but I'm okay with that, just my speculation. Here's the thing though when it comes to the Deadpool with, with Avengers. I don't think that's that's tempting at all Um, at least to the degree that a lot of us make it out to be it sounds like a quick gimmick I just don't see how and Rob I I think you might disagree with me on this I just really don't see how if you do Deadpool the way Ryan Reynolds has done Deadpool and the way that Deadpool works I don't see how you could take that character and drop him in Winter Soldier I, I don't see how you can take that character and have him with hawkeye unless you're doing a joke unless you're doing a skit um i just don't see how that works long term uh without fundamentally changing how you do deadpool and and that's why it just i don't know and and i'm not saying they're not going to do it they very well could do it it is very very possible even likely but I don't think it's a thing of, oh, the idea of Deadpool with the Avengers is too tempting to pass up. No, it's not. You, you, If you think Deadpool would work better if, and that's a big if, if you feel as a filmmaker that Deadpool would just work better if he's separate from that, then that's what you go with. Um, I, I don't think, yeah, oh man, but wouldn't it be funny seeing Deadpool have a quick exchange with, I, I don't know, four? Sure, that's a YouTube sketch. That's that's a scene. That's not yeah. a franchise. So I don't know. That's just kind of how how I feel about it. Um, whether it'll be R, again, look, I still think the best way to do it is keep Deadpool rated R and keep him separate from the main MCU. Just like they had him sort of separate from the X-Men universe, where with some little, you know, jokey overlaps, of course. How come you were the only two X-Men in the mansion? You know, that sort of thing. I think that's the best way to do it, but I don't know that that's where they very well could go PG-13 Deadpool in the MCU. I don't know, Rob. You got to thought about, do you think maybe the idea of a Deadpool sharing a scene with Thanos or sharing a scene with Thor or sharing a scene with Hawkeye is is too tempting for Disney to pass up?
1: No, I I don't think that would work either. I mean, as much as, look, as a comic book fan my whole life, crossovers are fun. But I just don't think – there is a tone that the MCU has built up over all of their movies, 23 films now, 25 films if we ever see Black Widow and Eternals, and however many TV shows we're going to get. And I just don't think Deadpool fits into that. It would shatter the tone of all 23 Marvel movies uh, that we've seen now if Deadpool were to come in. Now, you could maybe uh, – I, I and if you were to turn – ryan reynolds performance into the deadpool into a deadpool that i think is palatable in the marvel cinematic universe it wouldn't be deadpool anymore you know i like the fact that i take the marvel universe seriously they haven't dumbed it down they haven't added some wacky characters like in a transformers 2 with clanging metal balls together you know they haven't done that with all the different characters they've introduced and all the heroes, there is an earnestness to that storytelling that I don't i don't want to see disrupted. I like what they've done. You know, to me, it's funny when Tony Stark and Doctor Strange at the beginning of Infinity War are going at each other and they're talking about ice cream or whatever. I, I, that's funny, and that's its own brand of humor. I don't need Wade Wilson to be dropped in the middle of it doing what he does. I don't think it would work.
0: Now, I, I will say, if if anybody could figure out a way to make it work, it's Kevin Feige. Yep. Uh, I, I just, but I mean, that's, but who, so who knows? Who knows? Let's just, we're still a ways off from finding out. Anyway, Rob, I know that's all the time you got here with us today, but in the meantime, my friend, it's always an honor having you here. Whereabouts can people find you in your adventures online?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at brunetteRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett and find me on my own YouTube channel, the Burnett work and my show. Rob observations every day.
0: A show about something. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. And we will talk to you again soon, my friend. Have a good one.
1: All right, you too. All
0: right, guys, we've got about uh, a little under 20 minutes left. So let's see if we can fly through the rest of these. Isaac Beebe writes in. I normally hate it when people get their phones out while in a movie. Absolutely. But I'll make an exception for a video that I just saw on YouTube from an outdoor French cinema showing Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince a few years ago. Um, when spoilers, Dumbledore is killed by Snape, and everyone is gathered around his body. They all raise their wands with the glowing. I've, I've seen this happen, uh, with their glowing light on the end. When that happens, everyone in the audience turns on the flashlight uh, on their phones and holds them uh, and holds them up. I'll tell you what. I have seen that happen in a theater. I saw that happen in a theater, but it wasn't people turning on their flashlights. I remember being in a theater. It was my second or third time seeing the film, and. Instead of having the flashlights on, I saw a whole bunch of people in the theater just have their phones turned on, just holding up their phones. And you're right. It was a nice – I'm not even a Potterhead. I'm not even a huge Harry Potter guy. I like the movies, but I'm not a huge Potter guy. And even I was like, this is kind of emotional seeing all these people in the theater holding up their phones because, you know, Dumbledore meant something to them too. And I thought that was – so I'm with you on that. I I never take out your phone in the theater, but – you're watching Harry Potter, and that happens, and yeah. then that We'll give that one a pass. We'll give that one a pass. Um, okay, next one up. Andy Hong writes, If a Man of Steel sequel gets a green light and Henry Cavill comes back, do you think Warner Brothers could give it a stronger tangibilization by giving him a cameo in the Arrowverse? Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, like they did with Ezra Miller. If they ever do that, I have an incredible idea where he meets the versus Supergirl, gets his ass handed gets his ass handed to her left and right and says to her, the multiverse doesn't need any Superman. It has Supergirl. Well, that's basically what they did with the CW Superman. Then Henry Cavill Superman gets on his knees, bows before Supergirl and kisses her feet. Let's be honest, if they ever did announce that Henry Cavill was showing up on Supergirl for a cameo, that idea, sadly, is an actual possibility that would cross our minds. It certainly would cross through the CW's and or air producers minds. Oh, no, that's that's part of the big reason why I never want to see that happen. Never 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 let that happen. Plus, I mean, look. The Ezra Miller thing popping up in Crisis was a fun surprise. It was a fun surprise. It was also ultimately dumb, and they knew it was dumb, but all of Crisis was dumb. The, the whole crossover event was stupid. It's the first time ever in the Arrowverse that I didn't like the crossover, but but it was a very fun surprise. It was a super fun surprise. And it also served to function as a way of saying, hey, everybody, we haven't forgotten about making a Flash movie yet. We'll never talk about Ezra Miller, you know, grabbing a woman by the throat and throwing her to the ground, but we'll never discuss that. But don't forget, we're still making a Flash movie. Um, So, no, I don't think they'll do that with Henry Cavill. And you're absolutely 100 percent, Andy, right if they, Warner Brothers ever hinted that they were interested in, you know, cameoing Cavill Superman in there, immediately the Arrow vs. Producers are, how can we make him job to, to our Supergirl to make Supergirl look even better? You know they do that completely, because that's what they did to their own Superman. Anyway, uh, Sozin's comment writes, A decade ago, M. Night made me avoid The Last Airbender because I thought the show was was as bad as his movie. Thanks to you... Okay. M. Night made you avoid the TV show The Last Airbender because I thought the show was as bad as his movie. Thanks to you, I watched the show last month and I loved it. But I can't help feel disappointed in the middle finger M. Night gave to lifelong fans. Well, no, listen. Listen, here's the problem. Did M. Night do a good job making Avatar The Last Airbender the movie? No, he didn't. Was he giving a middle finger to anybody? No, fuck no, he wasn't. He tried his best. Like, I, I, it bothers me when, when fans, and, and listen, I, I'll, I'll cop up to this as well. I think I've been guilty of this too, myself, but it does bother me when fans take personal offense to what, you know, a filmmaker making a movie that they didn't like, right? That they just didn't like. When you look at Avatar The Last Airbender, it's not like he didn't do anything in that movie that was a betrayal of the show or a betrayal of the characters. He tried, he tried, he wanted to make, cause you're a special kind of stupid. If you didn't think that M night wanted to make a great movie that people loved. Of course he did. He thought he was the next Spielberg. He wanted to make an avatar, the last airbender movie that people were going to celebrate and love and enjoy. And he tried his best to do it and he failed miserably. The movie's terrible. It is, but it is in no way there. There's no decisions in there that was completely. I just did this to bug that. No, no. You could tell he was trying to make an avatar of the last airbender movie and he tried his best and it didn't work out, he tried his best. and He didn't work out, which, which is a different situation. By the way, we were just talking about, you know, the CW and Superman and Supergirl. Well, they specifically intentionally, you know, turn Superman into a jobber. That's an intentional decision. I don't think there was anything like that in uh, M night's last airbender. I think he tried and he just failed, but I 100% believe his intentions were to make a movie that audiences would love that last airbender fans would love. And it would be a gift to them and and a gift to himself. And it just didn't work. So I don't think Shyamalan was giving anybody the finger. I I think he was probably as disappointed as anybody else uh, that just the movie didn't turn out the way that he would hoped people would he would hoped people would love it and they didn't and it's just it's too bad. But but I don't think that was him giving a finger to anybody. I really don't. Uh he just failed. All right. Hero fans productions writes. Hey John. Have any of you guys watched Dark on Netflix? Well, we just talked about that. I have never watched it yet. No, but I know a lot of people have, and a lot of people have written in and told me I should give it a shot, and I will at some point. I will at some point try out Dark. Uh, Finish the third and final season, and this series has become the best show I have ever seen, complex and convoluted uh, in favor of the story and its characters. You all need to watch it again. Well, Rob was just talking about it. He's seen the first couple of seasons. I have been hearing nothing but great, great things about it from you guys, so I have got it marked down that I'm going to start watching that. Hopefully, within the next month or two, I'll have a chance to sit down and start watching it. I got a few things in queue in front of it, but uh, everybody's really getting me turned on to this, hero fan, so I am going to do that. Thank you for adding your voice to the growing list of recommendations for it. I appreciate that, man. All right, Estevel writes, "What's up, John? I don't know if you've talked about this, but YouTube TV has uh, yet again increased their prices from fifty dollars a month to sixty-five. This is totally outrageous, especially during this pandemic where no major sports are even happening. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I have addressed this, and it's the totally unpopular opinion. I don't think it's outrageous. Now, I've got issues with YouTube." <laughs> But to be fair, um, I don't think that that price increase is outrageous to me. Now, listen, I have, you've, if you've watched me for any period of time, you know I have tried all the s- television streaming services. I've tried them all. I did I did DirecTV's version of it. I did Hulu Live TV's version of it. I did Sling TV. I actually quite like Sling TV. Sling TV is pretty good. I did Sling TV's version of it. I have tried almost every service that streams the live television stuff. I've tried them all. YouTube TV, and I didn't want it to be, but YouTube TV is by far the best one. It is by far the best one. And it by far has the most channels, most selection. You have unlimited DVR. On top of all that, you can go back. Like, for instance, I can't remember what the show was, but Anne and I were, were going to watch a show. I'm like, wow, I wonder if we search for it, we'll find old episodes. You search for the show and it brings up all the previous episodes too. <gasps> so I don't even need the DVR because, I mean, it is a remarkable service. It's great. And believe me, I did not want to like YouTube TV that much because you guys know I'm even questioning whether or not I want to keep my show, The John Capus Show, on YouTube or not. I've been struggling with that question for like the last almost year. Um, But I got to give credit where it's due. The YouTube TV service is by far and away the best one. And when you consider the service that you're getting for it and all the stuff that's included in it and what you're able to do with that service... I would still contend that while a sudden $15 price jump is steep if I didn't know it was it used to be at 50 bucks and you just sat down with me today total clean mind and said this is YouTube TV you get this 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 and this and you can it has this functionality and this functionality and this functionality and it can do all this and the price tag is $65 what would my reaction be? I'm just being honest, my reaction would probably be, okay, that, that, sounds, that sounds reasonable. I wouldn't say, wow, that sounds like a great deal. But I would say, you know what? Seeing all this functionality and seeing all the options and all the stations that I get and all the things you can do with it and the fact that I can access it from anywhere at any time, on any computer, on my phone, on my tablet, on my TV, blah, blah, blah. And you take all of it in consideration. And then you said to me, the price tag is 65 a month. I would probably look at you and say, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. And and I really do. I know we want everything for free. I know we want everything to be as cheap as possible. I'm, I agree. I do too. But I think if we take a step back and really look at it, I don't think six, and I'm saying this is somebody who's not the biggest YouTube fan right now. I think it's not an irrational or unreasonable amount of money. The $15 price jump does seem like a, a rather sudden and steep jump. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, 65 bucks because you gotta remember, you're talking to a guy who back in the day used to spend like $120 a month on my cable package before I became a cord cutter. So you're talking to a dude that used to spend like around 120 bucks for my cable package. Um so I I still I think it's not bad. And I know that's not the popular thing to say. I know the popular thing to say is whenever anybody increases a price, let's act outraged. I get it, and that $15 price jump does seem steep not going to disagree. But at the end of the day, I look at the service to see what I'm getting. And then I look at the price tag of $65. I got to say for me, I don't think that's an unreasonable price tag. It could be cheaper. Yeah. It's not a great deal. No, but I think it's reasonable. And uh, I know there are many people who disagree and many people who have other thoughts on that. And I respect that. I do. But that's just kind of my take on it, SfL. Uh Anyway, here's hoping they don't now suddenly in three months jump it up to 80 because then we go from reasonable to maybe getting unreasonable. But anyway, Russell Amador writes. Hey, John, um, I got one question. Where are all my Chucky fans at? Anyone out there or is it just me? Anyways, new teaser trailer for the TV series coming next year with uh, Brad Dourif set to voice the killer doll once again. I'm a fan of the franchise. I'm so hyped. Yeah, listen, I got to. I'm not a big fan of the of the um, of the Child's Play franchise. I'm not. Uh, I really like the first one, but I haven't been a big fan of it since. I got a bit of a kick out of the latest one, though. The latest movie where Mark Hamill does the voice of Chucky. I got, I got a bit of a kick out of the one, I got to say. So I'm actually not all that interested in the TV series. But then again, I wasn't interested in Doom Patrol either. And now I love it. So we'll see what, uh, how it turns out once it comes out. But I haven't seen the new teaser yet. I'll keep my eye open for it. All right, K.W. Garrett writes, if there are 10 Best Picture nominees next year and no more 2020 films get released, over under 30% that Bad Boys 3, Sonic Scoob, and Bloodshot gets, get pissed, get Best Picture nominations because that'll be hilarious. Well, I'll tell you what, K.W. Garrett, the Oscars have already announced that they have changed. Like So they've moved the Oscars off February, I believe, into March. Or April. No, they've moved the Oscars to April. And the deadline is not December 31st now. The deadline is mid-February. They've already changed that to make some accommodations for the shifting schedule. But I'll tell you this. If no more movies come out in 2020, they'll just cancel the Oscars for this year. And it'll be unfortunate. And they'll just kind of lump in what few movies did get released this year into the next Oscars. But I just think they simply won't have an Oscars in 2021. Uh, if no other movies come out in 2020, that's a big if, but if that were to happen, I just think they would cancel the 2021 Oscars and just ball it all up into a 2022 Oscar. So we'll have to wait and see. All right. Optimus prime rib rights. If slash when a COVID vaccine becomes available, will you get it? Uh, Many say it is the key to get back to normal without all the fear, but many also think uh, that it will be rushed and unsafe if too many people don't take it. It could make um, this last even longer. Um, I mean, it all depends. Listen, if they wanted to rush out a vaccine before it was properly tested and properly scienced, they probably would have had it out already. I think they are going to be very careful and very cautious, and they're going to release it when they believe it's ready to release. At that point, yeah, I'll probably take it, probably. Uh, I might do like I do with my technology, like when a brand new piece of tech comes out, I wait like two weeks. (laughs) I wait two weeks to see if all the people who bought it first start reporting any major problems with it. Then I go, okay, and then I jump in and buy the tech. So what I might do is kind of stay isolated, uh, in my home and wait till the first round of people take it and say, a couple of weeks pass, everything's good. Okay, then maybe I'll go and take it. So we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see. But I don't know. I haven't sat down to really fully educate myself on it yet because it's still so far away. But as we get closer, I'll try to educate myself on it more. All right. Julius A. Goodwin writes, this may be a little outside of your area, but have the big movie chains not considered getting a loan from the government to stay in business? I doubt it would be any better for the economy to have another business go under due to COVID-19. I don't think that's an option that's on the table. And I don't think taxpayers would respond. I already think the government gives out too much money to to corporations, but I don't think the public would respond really well to tax dollars being given to bail out the industry. Although I think there is a business case for our culture and society to make sure and for the economy to make sure those businesses stay in business. Because there's going to be a big financial repercussion if those things go under. It might be in our country's best interest if they do stay open and maybe worth a bail, but I don't think that's an option that's on the table right now. Believe me, the theaters would take any handout the government wants to give them. Of course they would take it, but I just don't. I don't think right now that's an option that's on the table. All right, guys, just time for one or two quick more ones. And even though we're close to the end, but we got to wrap it up here in a second. Mister Kingtail writes, with the movie theaters likely staying closed until 2021. By the way, we don't know that that's likely. One analyst is saying that, but we—I—I I, would—I would withhold saying that is likely at this point. I think it's possible. I don't—I wouldn't say it's likely. Staying closed until 2021. Do you think there is a chance that drive-in movie theaters make a comeback? The idea seems very plausible. A kiosk system of sorts would even be implemented for tickets and refreshments. Well, listen—we already see Walmart is turning 150 of their parking lots into drive-in theaters. Amazon has started doing pop-up drive-in theaters. The the Right now, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, the iconic Rose Bowl has been turned into a drive-in theater. Anne and I went there the other day. Yeah. I, I, actually, Ann and I are planning to go to the drive-in again this weekend. We're going to go see, uh, I think we're going to go see Batman 89 uh, this weekend at the drive-in. So yes, we are already seeing movie theaters making a bit of resurgence. The problem is, does that become permanent? I don't think so. But right now, it's a great option. Ann and I went to go see, um, uh, what did we go see the other day? I can't remember now. Ann and I went to go to the drive-in the other day, uh, last week, and had a ball. It was the first time Ann ever went to a drive-in theater. Had an absolute blast, and we're looking forward to going again this weekend. All right, last question we'll take today. Uh, this one comes to us from Man of Steel who writes, The other day you mentioned the TV show Airwolf. Anyway, with Ernest Borg 9, Jan Michael Vincent. Love that theme music. I love watching that show back in the day as well as the A-Team and Knight Rider. But my favorite was The Fall Guy with Lee Majors and Heather Thomas. She was very teenage boy. Every teenage boy's dream she was. By the way, there was another show in that era, Man of Steel, that no one ever talks about. I think it was called Smith and Smith with the two brothers and i think they even did a crossover uh with uh, a team or knight rider at some point i can't remember but um smith and smith was another one that i really liked and i really enjoyed the guy went on one of the actors went on to be major dad uh i can't remember the actor's name but he was really good in that uh anyway so yes absolutely that was a great age for television stuff Guys, everybody from Ryan Lohner, Troy Kales, uh, Kaiser Soze, James Argenta, and the one or two other that, we got to wrap it up because we've hit two hours, but do not worry. I'm going to do an open mic tomorrow on Saturday and we're going to start off our open mic show tomorrow with your questions and we'll get caught up on those. But for now, guys, that will do it for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Don't forget, open mic will be tomorrow. We're going to, those like five or six questions that we have left over, we'll start off the show tomorrow with those questions. And guys, Guys, you can start sending in questions even now for that open mic tomorrow, simply by streamelands.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Special thank you to all of you guys who did send in questions for today's show because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And we, all of us here at this channel, thank you guys for that. special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett. He'll of course be back again next week. And thank you to you guys. That will do it for me for now, guys. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.